0: Like my puppets. Their shadows are souls, and the screen is heaven. You must watch their shadows, not the puppets. This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. If our guest today is right, a lot of what the average IRO does every day is not only completely useless, but actually misleading, and therefore dangerous. Baruch Lev teaches accounting, financial analysis, and investor relations at NYU. Three years ago, he published a book called The End of Accounting. In it, he and co-author Feng Gu present hard evidence that corporate value has almost no connection with present-day financial reporting earnings in particular is a chimera. What is real and relevant, Lev says, are intangible assets.
1: The total investment in intangibles in the United States by the private sector is $2.4 trillion with a T. It's now double the investment in intangible assets.
0: On your Ticker podcast this week... Baruch Lev on jiving corporate reporting systems with economic reality. We sat down, did a sound check. What did you have for breakfast this morning? Uh, Half a
1: bagel, coffee, and uh, some cream cheese.
0: And got underway. I think you'll really enjoy this one. You published The End of Accounting three years ago now? Two and a half. I'm just wondering, has it got any traction in the market? A lot of traction.
1: How so? A lot of traction. First of all, it got lots of sales. Lots of sales was already translated to four languages, and uh, others are probably on the way. Huge interest, mainly from investors. Hmm. I'm I'm, uh, constantly invited to hedge funds to give talks about... The new approach to investment, uh, most of them realize that the Financial Report lost most most of its relevance. And the question is, uh, what's what's the alternative? And that's basically what uh, our book is about. And since then, uh, I've developed lots of uh, other research related to it. For example, research on the demise of uh, value investing. Which is probably the most interesting thing now in uh, finance.
0: And you say, you say uh, the accounting to do with value investing is off somehow. It's not… the Accounting is general off, uh, uh, but in the case
1: of value investing, I'll just tell you how it came about. I gave a talk the a very large fund, uh, Lord Abbott in uh, New Jersey. And after my talk, we had dinner with uh, the chief uh, investment officer and others. And uh, one of them said, Baruch, uh, what do you say about value investing? It's not working uh, anymore. That's investing in low valuation stocks, uh, selling short, high valuation stocks, worked for decades and decades, Uh, stopped working completely the last 10, 12 years. And uh, so this was on the day which Paul Romer for NYU got the Nobel Prize. And he said, Baruch, if you solve this thing, you'll be the next one with the Nobel Prize. And I really want a Nobel Prize. (laughs) So uh, I'll just give you an example. I have now an extensive research project and several papers on the way. And related to what you asked... Usually people classify stocks by price to book value. So high price to book value are growth stocks, glamour stocks, some people call them low price to book value, are value stocks. Now, price comes of course from the stock market, from this floor, but uh, book value comes from accounting, and it's completely misstated particularly because of the, uh, uh, this uh, expensing of all intangibles. So when we correct book values of companies for the expensing of R&D, the expensing of other intangibles, meaning we capitalize and amortize rather than expense them immediately, uh, we get substantially higher income from value investing. I mean, it's almost double when you make relatively simple corrections to these distorted indicators of performance and of value of a company. It's really very dramatic
0: in this case. Let's, let's just explain that right now, the nut of that. Yeah. The uh, Something is being expensed that it shouldn't be, it should be in another column. Let's, yeah. Let's explain that.
1: Okay, uh, let me start with, uh, with intangibles. There is very interesting work by economists in recent years, particularly by Carol Corrado, Charles Hulton, publishing major uh, journals, and uh, they measure the total investment in intangibles. Intangibles meaning R&D, patents, brands, information technology, human resources, Uh, unique business processes like recommendation algorithm of Netflix and Amazon these are all intangibles and these economists estimate uh, it was validated many times that the total investment in intangibles in the United States by the private sector is 2.4 trillion with a T trillion dollars a year Two point four two. It's now double the investment in tangible assets, in property, plant, equipment, airplanes, structures, all of this. So intangible investment goes up, tangible investment goes down. That's the nature of the economy. And
0: almost everyone knows this. There's nothing new. In Intangibles, pardon me, director. Intangibles are brand. Um, Uh, like you say, uh, you know, subscription algorithms?
1: Patents. uh, Training your human resources, which is huge, for example, for pharmaceutical companies. They they spend on this more than on R&D. They have a whole army of very trained people. If you go to doctors, which unfortunately I go, uh, you see all those young people uh, running around uh, uh, trying to peddle the new drugs and, and uh, medical instruments. So these are intangibles.
0: Uh, just, just to segue a moment and pardon my ignorance, but uh, would something like good governance be an intangible or a good sort of uh, SRI yeah, corporate yeah, citizen? Yeah. Management
1: in general, management in general is a very important intangible. Uh, but I limit myself and economists also limit themselves mainly to intangibles that you can identify the investment in. There are all kinds of more more amorphous types of intangibles, uh, reputation, inspiration. They may be there and it's good if, if it be there. When I talk about intangibles, I mean intangibles which you can identify the expenditures, R&D to develop patents, advertising promotion to develop brands, information technology, training your, your employees. So I look at, at a subset of all these big names which are measurable. And the problem is, the problem is, that's of course the nature of the, the economy. Most, most successful companies are totally intangible. Facebook is totally intangible. They don't have machines. They don't have factories. Uh, same thing with Google. The same thing with, with uh, most others. There is nothing new in that. What I'm talking about is that uh, accountants, mainly the accounting standard setters, like the financial accounting standards board, uh, have been asleep for the last 30-40 years and uh, they are still in the industrial era in which they recognize as assets only tangible assets. If you buy a building it's an asset but if you spend money on R&D to get a patent mm-hmm. this is an expense. The difference in accounting the asset and expense is that asset Generates future benefits, expense doesn't generate future benefits. If I pay you a salary, I pay you for past services, you are not going to do anything in the future unless I'm continuing to pay you uh, the salary. So to say that intangibles don't have future benefits or that these future benefits are so uncertain that we cannot measure them is absurd in this economy. But the fact is that this is done. And this completely destroys reported earnings and the balance sheet of companies. The most important assets, like patents, are not on the balance sheet. Uh, You have buildings, you have machines, but they don't contribute anything uh, in this type of uh, an economy. And that's what we talked about here. It's not the only problem with accounting. There are other problems, too. But this is a big one, and it has, it has a huge effect. And in this book, The End of Accounting, we demonstrate in the first five, seven chapters, that's what astounds most people, that accounting no longer matters. The relationship between financial report and, let's say, stock value went down significantly over the last 40, 50 years. And uh, I'm glad to say that uh, when the book came out, uh, there was a general disbelief. I mean, it it cannot be true. We know that earnings shake markets and all of this. I just want to refer you to an article. I can even leave you the article. That's an article in the Wall Street Journal just two weeks ago. A lead article saying, don't obsess over the earnings season. In theory and practice, quarterly earnings just aren't that important. That's exactly what you say in the book. It took two and a half years. But now, people recognize it. Earnings are overrated as we reach the halfway. and uh, uh, Here is a hearsay. This doesn't matter nearly as much as people think. That's what I'm saying.
0: Our listeners, IROs, spend a lot of time speaking with analysts and investors yeah. about earnings. Yeah. Before the earnings come out, after the earnings come out, it's… Uh, it's a waste the of time. golden egg. It's a big kabuki dance. It's saying, a waste right? of time. A waste of time. It's a waste of time. Because it's meaningless. It's
1: it's uh, close to meaningless. Close to meaningless. And you, you can see it from the reaction of stock prices. Some companies have… Incredible earnings, they beat the consensus, that's what this article is about. They beat the consensus forecast, you look at the price, it goes down. Why? Because the guidance was negative. Sometimes earnings are bad, price goes up. Why? Because sales went up. Uh, Earnings are, are really not meaningful these days i just give you one one more piece of information. And on my blog, you said that you read it. I have a post on it I had a couple of months ago. I looked at companies that report losses, annual losses. Turns out that in this booming economy, 50% of all public companies that are traded here report annual loss. Can you imagine? 70% of high-tech and pharmaceutical and biotech companies report loss, 70 percent. That's of course because of this massive expensing of investment in the long term that appears as just a regular expense. (laughs) So how how do you explain that 70 percent of the companies report a loss?
0: And and that's why perhaps companies uh, who have... uh draining money, have losses, uh, are scooped up for $20 billion or so Yeah. But, but. Yeah. yeah. It, has, it, has, it has.
1: I mean, if, if when Amazon reported losses, uh, people were somewhat concerned, but uh, they saw the big picture and they believed, uh, Jeff, Jeff Bezos is saying, I'm heavily investing in the long term, and they were patient with him, and now, mm-hmm. of course, Amazon has lots of earnings. My concern is with the small and medium companies that don't have such charismatic CEOs and cannot tell the story, and investors just look at, at uh, the, the income statement, it's all red, and it must have a negative effect on their ability to raise money, to borrow money, to, to, to uh, attract uh, talent uh, to them. That's, that's my concern.
0: And uh, that's what I'm talking about. And and that's why uh, in uh, part of your blog or your article, you also say I'm talking about the consequences of this uh, topsy-turvy accounting rule. It has led to many fewer companies being listed on U.S. exchanges. Uh, One of the reasons, definitely one of the reasons, from
1: 1997, not that long ago, there was a decrease of 52%. 52 percent more than half in the number of companies, public uh, companies. We now have less public, fewer public companies than in the 80s. There are several reasons uh, mergers and acquisitions reduce the number of uh, companies, but one of the reasons there are, there are fewer and fewer uh, IPOs. Uh, and one of the reasons for for reluctance of even great companies to get into the market is this type of of uh, misleading accounting that requires constant explanation of you know we have we report losses because we invested a lot in this and we invested a lot in this and people are incredulous and some believe some don't believe uh, in it, uh, you have to have a good measurement system to support what's going on here, and uh, you don't have this measurement system.
0: So that would be the headline. The headline news: the earnings are down. But again, pardon my ignorance. But uh, people who, who may have read your book or people who are in the know are looking at these balance sheets and are saying, "Oh, well, I, I will discount or completely disregard." X, because I know, instead of expensing it, they're capitalizing it, or vice versa, right? I mean, don't they know that? Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely, definitely. That's why that's why you get this result that the earnings don't matter uh, anymore. The po- the, my my second point is, and here IR comes big, or should come uh, big. That's my message to IR. You have to provide for these people. You have to provide alternative meaningful information in a systematic way and I start with a very uh, brief story Uh, when we had a good version of this book before it was published readable one I send it to 10 11 people who are highly regard their opinion some in academia CEOs others investors uh, to get their opinion one of them was, still is, the CEO of a large company. He called me a couple of weeks after he got it and he said, Baruch, I'm going to disappoint you. And he's a very blunt person. I, I, I thought he's going to say, This is bullshit, what you worked for three years. <laughs> uh, he said, He didn't say that, but he said, uh, We know this. I said, what, what do you mean, we know this? He said, we see, oh, know that this information is no longer relevant. And that's why we disclose voluntarily so much information. So, for example, all pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies disclose information on their product pipeline, which is not required by accounting standards. All what's called subscription-based companies that you have to pay Subscription for telecom, internet, insurance companies—all of them report extensively on their customers: how many new customers this quarter, the churn rate, uh, customer acquisition cost. He meant this kind of an information. He Voluntary said, disclosure. He said we disclose it because we know that this doesn't work anymore. So he didn't reject the book, but he said, for CEOs, your beginning message in the first six, seven chapters will not be earth-shattering. So I I was fine with that. And and it's true that companies disclose lots of voluntary information, but it's it's disclosed in an unsystematic way, which makes it very difficult. Here I come to I.R. Very difficult for investors to use. So, for example, uh, some pharmaceutical companies disclose their entire product pipeline, all projects we are working on, mm-hmm. uh, the stage of this project, uh, phase one clinical test, phase two clinical test, phase three. Some disclose only top five. Some disclose in one quarter top five, in another quarter top three in this case, it's not systematic, it cannot be compared across companies. And that's why we devoted like half of the book to a suggestion of proposal of some kind of a paradigm that tells CFOs and IR people, if you want to disclose voluntarily, here is how to do it because we establish from examining hundreds of conference calls of companies, we spent a whole year on that, both of us. That that, that what, that's what investors uh, need.
0: So they don't ask on these calls. They're not asking about earnings or. or uh, stuff. Only in cases of disasters. And instead, and instead they're asking. What
1: they are asking, and I mean, I'm I'm literally talking about hundreds of conference calls. What they are mostly focusing on is what economists call the strategic assets of the companies. Strategic assets are assets that create value, that are unique to the company, and others cannot easily imitate them. So if you have have patents on pharmaceutical products, this is a strategic asset. Uh, Google's search engine is a strategic asset. If you want to develop something competitive to it, it will probably take you a generation and they, they'll still be uh, ahead of you. Most of these assets are not on the balance sheet. And, but that's what, that's what they're asking about. So, you know, one, one of the companies that we, we analyze in the book is uh, Sirius XM, mm-hmm. as a representative of subscription based uh, company. Most of the questions are about customers in this case. Uh, earnings are really not that important. I mean, it's, it's a profitable company. Everyone knows that it's a profitable company. But uh, the focus is on how many new customers did you get this quarter? The churn rate, which okay. is the percentage of how many leave you. Uh, how much does it cost on average to get a customer in terms of freebies, you know, serious gifts? When you buy a new car, you get half a year of free, serious service, yeah. uh, to attract you. Right. And uh, so you would like to see, for a growing company, customer acquisition costs going down. If they go up, it's a bad sign. It needs more and more resources to acquire uh, customers. So. That's, that's what most of the questions of analysts were about this. And then they were about competition. Here you have satellites streaming into cars. Uh, Apple, Google are working on Wi-Fi in the car. Uh, what are you doing in terms of Wi-Fi to protect your franchise when these giants will, will uh, come in? Are you ahead? Are you developing? How much you spend on, on developing Wi-Fi in the car? So the questions are about those strategic assets. Uh, how much do you invest in them? How do you protect them from disruption? How do you deploy them? You can have lots of patents, but if you don't develop them, it's worthless. That's what, uh, that's what investors need. And that's, what, that's the new IRO person, IRO executive, <laughs> uh, that's what they should focus about. Uh, financial reports, as I said several times, are, are losing their value. I won't say that they are completely useless, but they are definitely losing most of their value. And you can just look at, at uh, what these people tell you, not, not just me. So the so the question is, uh, what kind of an following this CEO who called me about my book, how do you systematically provide provide investors with meaningful information that they need? And that's not an easy thing to to do because in the organization there will always be people, particularly lawyers. Uh, who will tell the CFO? You know, don't disclose anything that is not legally required. Which is an awful, awful uh, advice. It's even a silly advice uh, in
0: this case. Almost yeah, all IROs yeah. would agree with you on that.
1: Because one. if you if you don't disclose, then you're going to lose uh, analysts following you, and you're going to lose lots of investors. Uh, in this case, that's. Uh, The main, the main, and that's what I am telling uh, CFOs and CEOs for decades, the main beneficiary from responsible disclosure are you. Not so much investors. Investors have alternatives. They can move from stocks to stocks. But if you disclose, if transparency increases... Study after study shows that you get more loyal shareholders, financial analysts will follow you,
0: and your cost of capital will go down. Of there course, there's a there, yeah. the fine line between that and, and losing competitive advantage. Well, that's, uh, I,
1: I, don't, I don't argue for disclosing everything that you have. But this argument, no offense intended, but this argument about competitive advantage is is really overblown because everybody knows that your competitors know everything about you. They don't need to wait for the financial report to come out. People switch jobs quickly. People go to conferences. They have a few drinks and they start talking. I had a large pharmaceutical, a large chemical company coming to me saying, we are losing all our uh, intellectual capital because our executives talk to others and they tell them everything that we are doing in this case. So there are no secrets. So this thing, it's really a ploy. Uh, to somehow justify not to disclose things that uh, well, we, are, we are not going to benefit our, our uh, competitors. They know. They don't have to wait for the financial report. That's an interesting now, point. Now, again, I don't want to go to an extreme. I don't, as I said, I don't argue for disclosing everything, but uh, disclosing, disclosing important information for valuation, which will substitute for this thing which goes down, uh, it's very important. If you don't do it, you're going to pay a price for this. As simple
0: as that. So, so what's the solution then? You you say you say until uh, uh, the accounting standard setters get their act together, companies uh, and investors have to have to. Yeah, I, I have no
1: hope that uh, that <laughs> soon accountants will get their act together. But uh, you don't have to wait for it, and most most managers don't wait for it. And that's I, why I, I started with right this there?
0: story. yeah. Why aren't they getting it together? Well, that's a complex
1: thing that took me lots of years to understand. It's just momentum, yeah. just it's institutional No, no, kind no, of- no, 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 no. It's politics. Accounting standards setting, both in the United States by the Financial Accounting Standards Board and outside by what's called the International Accounting Standards Board, uh, they are highly political organizations. And like every political organization, there are influencers. And on accounting, there are two major influencers. One is managers, and the other is accountants, auditors. All the rest, like investors, are dispersed. They really don't have much to say. But these two are cohesive, they have lots of power, and they have a big effect. So managers, by and large, are happy with this accounting system. I mean, it, does, it doesn't it does disturb
0: them. They, they, it's bad for their cost of capital. Yeah, but,
1: but, but when they need it, they will provide information voluntarily. When they don't, uh, they, they have this uh, system. Why Why would they call for a huge revision of uh, accounting? They know how to live with this, they are comfortable with it. and. And They've got a little uh, more control
0: over it. Yeah, they can They can disclose control. when it's good for them sure. and, that's, and just… Uh, yeah d- 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 Lots of control.
1: Okay. Huh. Uh, auditors, uh, uh, their, their main concern, their, and that's not a new thing, their main concern is litigation. That's where they are losing most of their uh, money. And if, for example, you put intangibles on the balance sheet, then intangibles are risky assets. So, you have patents on an iPhone, and the competitor comes with a better iPhone. Uh, you know, the value goes out the window in this case. And then people start asking all kinds of uh, embarrassing questions. Uh, you know, why did you invest in, it in the first place? Why didn't you protect it? And uh, auditors will have to explain why it's on the balance sheet, and all of a sudden it, it evaporated. Uh, why do they need it? They are very comfortable with expensing everything now, no trace on the balance sheet and that's it. This is, I don't have a proof for this, I have proofs for all the things in the book, statistical proof, but this is a conjecture and uh, for the inaction in of accounting authorities on the most important things which leads to this. The Wall Street Journal will say that earnings are not relevant. Not more relevant. they.
0: So it's, 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 a, it's, it's a sorry situation. So we're, we're not looking, there's this institutional inertia, uh, no sign of change. Companies and IROs uh, no, have no, to uh, no, no, deal no, with that, it
1: themselves. No, just, just about a year ago, a year and a half ago, the FASB again put intangibles on their agenda. They put items that they are going to work on on their agenda for the second time. They did it like like 10 years ago. And after about a year, they froze it. It's not interesting. Despite the fact that, uh, that a survey by FASAC, FASAC is the governing body of the FASB, a survey of investors uh, found, they asked them, what are the items that the FASB has to work on to change significantly? Intangibles came third, tied with uh, pensions, as the most important item to revise to change, but nevertheless,
0: signal Donald Trump has uh, come out in favor of getting rid of quarterly reports. Uh, You are totally in agreement with that. However, he says, and it is kind of uh, accepted wisdom, or accepted wisdom, that uh, markets are myopic, that they have a short-term orientation. You say, no way. I say it's the most absurd
1: thing that I've, I've heard, and I'm hearing it. I'm an old man. I'm hearing it for decades. The whole thing started in the 70s. Uh, there was an oil embargo in the early 70s. And after that, there was about a decade of uh, significant reduction in uh, productivity in the United States. And all uh, lots of economists look, looked at this productivity slump. Uh, with all kinds of explanations. Uh, no one came with a good explanation, but that's, at least in my going back to history, that's how, where, or when these arguments about short-term isn't started. People started saying uh, productivity went down because uh, investors are short-term. This then translates to managers. They want to respond to them also being short-term. They don't invest enough in R and D. They don't invest enough in brands. They don't invest. They blame each other. Yeah, Yeah, and that's that's the productivity. Uh, Then productivity went up significantly, and I expected this nonsense about short termism to disappear, but it does not. It continues and continues and continues. And I'm saying it's absurd. I, I, I do not easily dismiss opinions of people. But I'm saying on this that it's absurd because you have to understand what is short-termism. Short-termism of managers means that they intentionally sacrifice long-term growth for an increase, let's say, in quarterly earnings or for beating their consensus. Uh, It must be a sacrifice of long-term growth. Otherwise, there's nothing wrong with with short-term, is it? So you sacrifice the long-term for the short-term. It seems
0: pretty obvious. You don't have to think about it too much. That's obvious.
1: So now let's consider long-term growth in the United States. if if, If managers, really lots of managers, that's the argument, not one or two, lots of managers, sacrifice long-term growth there should be a decrease in corporate performance at some point in time since the financial crisis 12 years 11 12 years there is a continuous increase in sales in profits in any measurable performance of companies and it was also before the financial crisis, financial crisis put a stop to it for a couple couple of years. So I'm asking where is the evidence that uh, there, is, there is a massive sacrifice of long term when for the long term and 12 years, that's a long term in my book, there is constant there's also constant increase uh, with, with volatility but constant increase in uh, share prices. Mm-hmm. Reflecting this uh, this performance, so this is this is absurd. Uh, you can look at it. You can look at it uh, from the point of uh, the investment. I mentioned that investment in intangibles is now about 2.3, 2.4 trillion dollars a year. Practically all this investment is investment in the long term. Intangibles are R and D and brands and and all of this. If investors were short-term oriented, again, most of them, some of course are, but if this was a massive phenomenon in the market, they wouldn't have tolerated companies investing $2.3 trillion in the long term. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have bought, purchased the, the shares of these companies. Let's say, I, I, I don't purchase shares of companies that increases every year R&D. No, they, are, they, are sec- they are sacrificing the, the short-term right. for this. I want short-term performance. I'm not concerned about what will happen three, four years down the road. We see exactly the opposite. They love companies that invest a lot in the long-term. Studies have shown that companies that increase their r and D, on average, not every case,
0: but on average, meet with, uh, with a price increase. So, so you'd like to see quarterly, at least earnings, quarterly earnings results uh, just ditched because they're meaningless. Not necessarily because they yeah. they make a, sort of a short-term uh, yeah. no, headspace yeah, for the whole market. They are meaningless, because, meaningless. because of this. Right. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not the short term; it's the mismeasurement of earnings okay. that uh, concerns me. I don't think there will be any harm. In uh, moving to six months, it will save a lot of anxiety uh, for IRs, a lot of anxiety for CFOs and CEOs. It will save two earnings calls a year. Can you imagine? A CFO told me recently that my CEO spends four days preparing Mm -hmm. for the conference call. And I thought that he that he mispronounced it, I said, you mean four hours? He said, Baruch, four days for preparation for, for a conference call. It will save half of the, of the conference call. And I don't think by, by deleting something that doesn't matter, uh, we we'll lose anything. But this is not my main focus. I mean, I just reacted right. to, to what uh, Trump said. I'm not
0: going out and, you know, pushing for eliminating. That's not a big thing for me. Interestingly, right now, the IRO's job, uh, they are valued primarily on earnings conference calls and how smoothly they go. Well, uh, uh,
1: rightfully so. Because earnings conference call, because the financial reports uh, uh, provide so little relevant information, they provide lots of information, 250 pages of numbers, but most of it completely meaningless. Yeah. Because of this, the, the earnings call became the main route of information provision to capital markets. Right. So the earnings call are, are incredibly important. Uh, if you look, for example, at what's called the call deck. Most companies have like like a PowerPoint presentation. Most of it is not accounting numbers. Most of it is on customers, on patents, on this, on that. This is very important, and the response to questions of uh, of analysts are very important. So, uh, so. So, uh, pardon
0: me. So you're saying that the the quarterly conference calls are good, uh, might be good, but not necessarily if the topic is earnings. Yeah. Uh, I, I, if, if, if the
1: conference call will be, instead of quarterly, will be twice a year, I don't see a huge damage uh, uh, in this. Well, they did that in the and UK, and UK the, right? Yeah, in the UK and in other countries too. But, but the conference, conference call itself is providing contextual information, non-accounting, much of the information is non-accounting information in the conference call. Look at conference calls of insurance companies. Uh, earnings is, is almost irrelevant in this case. Uh, they, they, they talk about uh, frequency of losses and severity of losses. These are two very important things, for example, car accident, frequency and severity. Uh, these these small car accidents, you are killing people uh, there. That's that, This is important information. It's not in the accounting report.
0: I think nothing underlines what you're saying more than you're your finding that uh, I can't remember the exact number, but um, Edgar reports 28.4.
1: It's yeah. not mine. It's, it, it, it's researched by others. But when I saw it, <laughs> I was astounded.
0: <laughs> you know,
1: you know what? What it? 28.4. It's 28.4 downloads I mean, in the first were, week after you know, not, in the okay. in the first few days. That's first first day. couple, couple of days, days. yeah. Yeah, You and I download, at least I, I won't say you, I download lots of things that I even don't read after that. It looks to me like interesting, I download it, and put it in a file, in this case. So my guess is about about half of the 28.4 are downloads that people didn't even look at it, which means that it's irrelevant, it's just irrelevant. It's a compliance thing. Exactly. That's what in a a recent, not recent, three years ago, there was a very extensive survey of CFOs and one of the questions was, do you think that the, the financial report provides lots of information to investors? And most of CFOs said exactly what you said right now. It's for us, and that's a term they use, it's for us a compliance exercise. We just tick all, you know, FASB statement right. this, and FASB statement this, and FASB... St- this this is the
0: main concern, whether it's relevant to investors. That's another question. I think you're, the brave new world you're describing uh, will be embraced by IR people because they spend most of their I'm, time I'm sure. dealing with this whole yeah. kabuki dance of, yeah. of earnings yeah. and, and when that's not what yeah. anybody's interested yeah. in. I'm teaching
1: a very popular investor relations course at NYU. It's an elective course, mm-hmm. but lots of students, and it's very well received from, from the, the ratings of uh, the students, and uh, that's my emphasis in the course, and I'm telling them. You are, uh, I work with IROs for like 30 years. I was in, uh, before I came to NYU, I was uh, on the faculty of uh, Berkeley, University of California, Berkeley, both business school and law school. And I I taught uh, financial statement analysis and uh, one break, a student came to me. She said, uh, everything that you are talking about is relevant to investor relations. I said, what is Investor Relations? (laughs) This was like 30 years ago. She was a little taken aback. And then she explained, and and then she asked me to talk to, uh, they were going to have their annual conference in San Francisco. If I'm willing to talk, I gave a talk. And since then, I work very closely with uh, Niri. Mm -hmm. And I had many, many appearances in their annual conferences. So... Uh, I tell my students, I say, the usual complaint of investor relations people is that uh, they don't have a seat at the table. Yes. That's a term that I, I yes. hear again and again. I mean, uh, it's the CFO, it's the CEO, it's a person in charge of R&D, these are people who make decisions and I even tell them uh, uh, a joke which was a, a case true case, I flew, I flew to an investor relations conference in uh, London and a person was sitting near me and we started talking. It turns out that he was uh, a CEO. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to a investor- relations." I said, we have incredible investor relations people, he said. They, they get for us the best hotels, they get for us the best dinners, they get for us this, and I'm looking at it. Yeah, that's pretty important, yeah. yeah. And they, he was not joking, he was very no. serious. Sure. He said, they're very good, they prepare everything. He didn't even think about, they help us in designing the information system, in telling us what investors <laughs> think. And so I tell them, if you want a seat at the table, Uh, you have to earn it. And you earn a seat at the table if you tell the other people at the table something that they don't know. And what they don't know is what is the information that is relevant to investors and how to measure it. I developed a whole system of measuring the effectiveness of investor relations. For example, uh, after a conference call, Look at the number of financial analysts that changed their forecast. If the if the conference call was effective in changing perception of investors, that's what usually you want to do. You want to see like 70 percent of financial analysts within three days changing the the earnings forecast. Do something about it. So was there? a market reaction to the call? Was there a larger volume of trade? Was there a change in investment? There are measurable things that you don't need a statistician. They are all on Yahoo Finance or Google That's Finance. You can it We need it yourself to talk about that again. And, and bring something to the table that they will say, wow, we didn't think about it. Or we didn't think, we didn't know that our, our earnings call doesn't create any buzz at all, whereas our competitors have earnings call with a huge buzz. So the four days of the CEO are, are wasted days.
0: So your day. action plan for IROs would be... Go tell this to your CEO. Say, I'm going to save you four days <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah. or, or yeah. sixteen days. Yeah. Uh,
1: here is here is the information that really really measures that matter. Here is the information that matters. But put it in a way that investors can understand it. Okay. Uh, psychologists came up years ago with the theory, and it's not a very surprising theory of limited attention investors. Uh, investors don't know everything about the companies. The analysts, the companies that they follow, they have very limited attention. Maybe they have thirty minutes mm-hmm. to look at the financial report. So you have to package the information in a way that it's easy to digest. And, and in my class, I give an example of how SiriusXM provides information of their customers every every quarter. So new customers. End, ending balance of customers, uh, paying customers, promotional customers, those okay. with the with the six months uh, new cars, uh, customer acquisition costs, the churn rate. So you get you get a concise table rather than page twelve new customers, page seventy two the churn rates, paid this. So it's not just the information, it's how to package it to limited attention investors. So in my opinion, the role of the IRO should be much more interesting, much more challenging, much more important than basically uh, serving the CFOs. In most cases, the CFOs relegate to the IROs, talking with individual investors. And I'm going to talk, that's what CFOs tell me. I'm talking with the institutional investors. They can deal with the telephone calls. You know, uh, they can get- Not uh, always. Uh, not yeah. all, no, yeah. of course not always, but in, in some places. Your role can be much more meaningful. Particularly because this is, this is
0: losing its, uh, its, its relevance. Well, it looks like if there's going to be change, it's going to be uh, bottom-up, not top-down. Yeah. And IROs yeah. have a central role to yeah. play yeah. In, in changing yeah. that game. Yeah. Yeah. Lev, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks for joining us on the Tigger. My pleasure. My pleasure. And that's all for your ticker podcast this week. To learn more about just what metrics matter and some thoughts on how you could communicate them, check out Lev's book, the end of accounting and the path forward for investors and managers. New copies go for about twenty-five bucks on Amazon. From the Citadel Securities post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, I'm Jeff Cosette.
1: Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.